So, life after death, you say that you've interviewed uh, hundreds of people, says here, parapsychologists, medical doctors, psychologists, quantum physics, and uh, researchers about the true nature of the reality. Why did you start researching life after death, Stephen? Oh, well, because I had a, uh, I guess, you know, I didn't realize what it was at the time, but I had a near-death experience when I was in my mid-20s. And uh, I was I was very sick with the flu, you know, and I, I uh, guess I did some things I shouldn't have done. And, and uh, I, I just lay down in my bed and it started spinning like it was a helicopter blade taken off. And I popped out of my body, and I. next thing I knew, I was up near the ceiling examining the uh, paint up there and the little crevices with all the dirt and stuff in them and thinking that the ceiling needed to be painted. And I looked down, and I saw my body on the bed. Well, I kind of had an epiphany at that moment because I realized that I wasn't my body, and I'd always thought I was because I was brought up in a family that... Uh, subscribed to the idea if you couldn't see it under a microscope it didn't exist and uh, that the brain created uh, your consciousness and when you died that was it you know you was like you know turning off a lamp or pulling a pulling the plug on the vacuum cleaner so I realized at that point that I I wasn't my body and I, I it started me on a quest that I've been on ever since to f try to figure out uh, what what the true, What's true? You know, what what are we? And uh, I think I've come to the conclusion that we're we're spiritual beings and we're having a physical experience and that really uh, this physical reality is not not our home, that we come from someplace else and we come into this reality and we stay here for a while and then we go back home. Mm. So that's kind of so, the conclusion I came to after all those interviews and everything else. So so you uh, you died of the flu? Well, it was very brief. It probably, uh, and there were some other things that went along with it. I, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that what happened is that I was in my, I was a bachelor living with two other guys in an apartment in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, I was upstairs. I was really nursing this flu. It was a Saturday night. And of course, when you're about 25 years old, you don't want to be doing that on a Saturday night. And I heard some people coming in to the apartment downstairs, and uh, pretty soon there was a party going on. So I, you know, was not, I was feeling pretty bad, but I got up and I put some clothes on and I went downstairs and I had a few drinks and, you know, uh, probably did some things I shouldn't do. And then all of a sudden I just felt horrible and I kind of knee walked back up to my bedroom. I flopped down in the bed and before I, you know, in a couple of seconds, things were just spinning around and I just sort of popped out of my body. So I'm not sure it was, I didn't go through a tunnel. I didn't go into the light, but I, I looked at myself down on the bed and that was when I realized uh, something was not what I thought it was. I mean, I thought I was my body, but I'm not, I, I'm my consciousness. Yeah. That's who I am. But, so, you, but you did come back. You were able to, I went, you know, it lasted I don't know, you know, I don't know how long, but it wasn't more than a couple minutes. And uh, the next thing I knew, I woke up the next morning, but it was very vivid, you know, in my, it was something that was so vivid that I still remember it clearly and uh, certainly did the next morning. And that really is what got me started on this uh, quest to figure out what, uh, 
what life is all about and what uh, reality is real. You know, mm -hmm. people think uh, I was raised at a school, and I think all of us were, if we took science, it told us that uh, the only thing that exists is matter, you know. But, of course, Einstein said matter is energy and energy is matter, and that's true. I think what what really everything is is energy and that it's really all comes from consciousness. And that's one of the things I learned from the uh, quantum physicists that I talked to and the, and reading about that is that, uh, you know, they, they think that uh, everything comes from a unified field. Well, I think that unified field somehow produced consciousness, and that's what produces reality rather than the other way around mm -hmm. where most uh, scientists nowadays think that uh, matter creates consciousness because there couldn't have been consciousness until a brain came about and that of course they think came through evolution and uh, so you had to have before you could have intelligence and consciousness you had to have a brain which meant you had to go through all those steps of evolution mm. and you, I don't think that's the way it was I think it's the other way around so do you think consciousness is local I think consciousness is universal. I think everything has some degree of consciousness. It, that the ground of being, if you will, is uh, consciousness itself, and that's that's where it comes from. Now, I've talked to quantum physicists who 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 believe that, who say that. That's not the popular view now, but I think those who do think that are the ones who are right. Mm -hmm. And in my one of my books, I get into that about the uh, quantum theory and the Oh, there's all kinds of evidence that uh, that minds are connected. That uh, uh, everything from research into ESP to uh, the idea that uh, some some uh, psychics can communicate with people who have passed away. Uh, there's been a lot of research done on that. Uh, you know, double-blind research that uh, indicates that yes, they can give accurate information about people who have. Who have passed away so a lot of evidence that uh, really consciousness is everywhere that we, it is non-local and that even ours is non-local that our brains are receptors of consciousness like a cell phone or radio that integrates it somehow with our body and that's how we come we come into this reality uh, to experience uh, the physical world well, and uh, the realm and and that's uh, but we're we're doing it like we're we're divers in a uh, going down in the deep sea ocean with the diving suit. Our diving suit happens to be our body. So there well, you go. Well, well Stephen, yeah. let me let me mention this little tidbit to you. Uh, in the Bible, uh, there's a scripture that says that uh, uh, if something doesn't happen, the rocks will cry out. And then I think it might be in in Psalms or somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure. Somebody can put it in live chat. But there's another one where it says where God commanded. I think he commanded Aaron to speak into a rock to get water out of it. So there's a couple times that rocks are mentioned as if they were beings or they had a consciousness itself. What do you think about that? I think that everything to some degree is consciousness. Now, a rock uh, is probably one of the least conscious things around, but it, at, at the very subatomic level, it's consciousness that creates that rock. And that rock has some amount of consciousness, very little, I guess, at least in terms of how you and I would be able to communicate yeah. with it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think everything is conscious. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to admit, man, I went, I was, when I was by a, a she store one time, I, I took a rock and I smashed it and I 
<laughs> I had a little bit of guilt complex there. I was thinking, man, I could have hurt that rock. Hey, just <laughs> uh, joining us in the live chat now is a DS shot jam, uh, a jam Zach and Tammy Hall. All welcome to the program. Uh, those of you watching the program, if you have a question for tonight's guest, Stephen Martin, talking about life after death or consciousness, or if you've had a personal experience, put it in the live chat and our moderator, Jay, will get it over here to us. Stephen, uh, so I've got in, in the background all these books. I could barely get them in uh, into the frame, but we got them all in there. So are you always writing books? It's pretty much what I do. I uh, spent a whole career in the advertising business, but for the last, uh, oh, 25 years, I've been doing a lot of writing. And uh, now that's pretty much what, all, what I do. That write, and I also do some editing <laughs> and I do some ghost writing. If somebody needs a ghost uh, book, ghost written, uh, you should contact me through my website because I'm looking for some work in that regard. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. And I, uh, you showed all those books off my website. That's very nice of you to do that. <laughs> well, uh, there, appreciate there, there they are. Maybe some somebody will see something what they want to read. Go to my website and you can click on the thing that says books, and it'll take you to that page that you've got up there. Okay, so. It, so I've uh, I've been uh, doing these programs since 2004. I've interviewed over a thousand something show people, made thousand shows. So if I need a ghostwriter, you just write and tell me <laughs> what what I did or what I learned. I mean, can you do can you do all that? Well, you know the way I work, uh, Daniel, is that uh, I'll you and I need to have a long conversation about what you want to write about. And uh, what I do is probably after two or three conversations is put together an outline uh, and uh, make a recommendation about, you know, how that would flow in terms of chapters and so forth. And I'd send it to you and we'd go back and forth till we got something we agreed on. And then once we did, once we had an outline, we'd just uh, schedule some, times to talk and we'd talk through it and I'd record everything and then I'd start writing the chapters and sending them to you and you tell me what you like and don't like and okay. you know how you want to change it or whatever okay. and we go back and forth till we have a good have a book written okay and I've done a number of them that way okay all right we have a question for you it says what are the critical brain regions for consciousness well the brain itself is a uh, you know, I'm not the only person who thinks this. The University of Virginia has been studying this whole issue, their medical school, in a division called the Division of Perceptual Studies, D-O-P-I-D-O-P-S, Division of Perceptual Studies. And they have come to the conclusion that the brain does not create consciousness, that the brain is a receiver of consciousness that integrates it with the body. So to say that what part of the brain creates consciousness is, you know, according to them, uh, there isn't a part that creates it. It's only parts that receive it. Now, different parts deal with different things like, you know, the uh, visual part that comes in through your eyes and the, uh, uh, you know, hearing and so forth. There are different parts of the brain for different functions. But uh, again, it's all a receiver it's receiving the, the uh, consciousness, not creating it. So we're, we're, is the source the source is the spiritual you the the uh, part of you that is the spiritual being that exists and has will always exist you're you're an eternal spiritual being you know think you want to say you're a ghost well maybe you know <laughs> when you leave your body you are for 
but you you're part of this uh what I call infinite mind, some people would call God, but okay. you know, to me it's the same thing. They're synonymous. We're all part of that, and we're, we think we're separate because we have been born, and we've grown up, and we've got an ego, and we've, you know, that's developed. We've got memories about our childhood, and you know, we've got a job, and so we identify with what we do, and that makes us think we're separate individual beings and I guess in a way we are but we're still connected to that and part of that infinite mind that creates everything it creates you and me it creates the moon and the stars it creates everything there is and we're part of it we're an extension of it we're windows on it you know mm -hmm. uh, so when you think about uh, yourself and you say you know who am I uh, you kind of are able to step back and even kind of think about yourself and see yourself like, like, like being on your shoulder, uh, looking at yourself, going about your daily tasks. That's who you are. That consciousness that is uh, really above and beyond just your uh, everyday mind and being caught up in the way things are going. When you can step back and think about your own existence and, you know, that's that's who you are, mm -hmm. that part of you that's able to do that. Okay, we've got a number of questions coming in for you. Here's one here. Here it says, from, from Smoke C, uh, and uh, he says, uh, Stephen, where is our consciousness really stored since it can't seem to really exist in our bodies after we are dead? Yeah, no, it doesn't exist in your body after you're dead. It, it leaves your body. There have been so many uh, reports of near-death experiences, you know, thousands of them. Uh, it, you're, it's hard to describe, but you're non, it's non-local. It's not in a place. It's part of this infinite mind that is everywhere. And you're part of that. Uh, so when you pass over to the other side, you will still consider yourself separate from everything, but you're really going into a realm that's non-physical, that's non-local, and you're going to meet your uh, friends and family who've gone before. They'll probably come to greet you. You may have guides, what people would call maybe uh, guardian angels who, who've been around you for forever, practically, at every lifetime you've ever had, and uh, but it's you're not in a place, so to speak. You're in a non-physical realm, a mental realm, a, a realm that is really mind, and that's not in a particular place. It's it's everywhere. It's okay. it's in another dimension. Okay, another question. I've got a lot more questions. But Yahweh first says, uh, Stephen, do you case studies on NDE experiencers? Did I do case studies? Yes. I've spoken to a number of people who have had near-death experiences, and I, I had a show kind of like this for about three years where uh, I would frequently have uh, near-death survivors on and talk about what they've done. And, yeah, I've, I've talked to dozens of people that had near-death experiences. Is, is there a common thread that... Uh the experiencers talk about uh, yeah uh, there are some common threads that 
usually there are they are very different, but the common threads are the first thing that happens is you they re, you realize that you're outside of your body and you're able to see what's around you. You see your body. You see your uh, if you're in a hospital room for if you're being operated on, you'll see the doctors and the nurses. You'll be able to uh, hear what they're talking about and see what they're doing. But then you typically feel drawn toward, uh, most people describe it as a light, and it feels like they're going through a tunnel toward this light, where they will come upon usually somebody that they know who's already passed, who's gone before, who will be greeting them. Sometimes, though, it may be, they may uh, describe it as a, an angelic being. They might say it's Jesus or some other, uh, depending on what their religion is, some, some other figure from their, their religion. And then you, they go on to uh, have a, <clears throat> typically they have a past right life review once they've reached that other, uh, gone into that light. Mm-hmm. And that past life review will be, they describe it as a panoramic kind of, view of everything that's ever happened in their life. And, and even though it may, time doesn't really exist over there, over there the way it does here, they are somehow able to experience everything that's ever happened to them, they say. And they not only feel what they felt when different events happened, but they feel what other people felt because of what they said or did. Mm in that event. So you're, you're saying if somebody inflicted pain on somebody else, then uh, they're going to feel that pain. They're going to feel the pain. They're going to feel the anguish or the suffering they caused. It's kind of a learning experience. And, and what I'm told by people and a number of people who have described this to me is that you, they're not judged by anybody. It's not like God is standing there and judging you or, or an angel hmm. Or somebody there are beings there, but they're really there to support you and help you get through this because it can be a very, uh, tra- uh, you know, emotional. I would imagine it obviously, would obviously emotional kind of experience, but it's really a learning experience. You learn from what you did, and hopefully uh, that'll stick with you in your soul somehow, and so that you'll you'll know better than to do it when you come back. Because one of the things that the University of Virginia has found is that reincarnation is a very real thing and that, uh, that most of us have had many more, many lives and, uh, probably will have many more before we ever get to stay over there on the other side, because yeah. earth I think is a school. It's a place we come to learn. And when we have that past life review, we see what we did and what we did right mm-hmm. and what we did wrong mm-hmm. and what we, uh, decisions we could have made that would have changed things. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all a great learning experience. More, mm-hmm. it's not being judged. It's not being punished. It's mm-hmm. it's a learning experience. That's okay. how it's described oh, to me. Okay. By, okay. Let me let me ask. Okay. Let, let me ask something, Stephen. So, let's just say you know you 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 uh, you screwed up somewhere in this life. You hurt somebody, but then you go make it right best you can. Is that erased, or you still got to look at it over over the other side? You know, uh, I think that I, I don't claim to know the answer to that question, but I would think that if you go try to make it right, that's going to make it a whole lot better and that you'll, you're not going to, you know, especially if uh, 
if you, uh, you know, make that gesture, I think it's important to do that. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, you know, I, I gave a talk at a, uh, a unity church a few years ago, and I, we were talking, this is subject came up about the past life review and how you feel and experience what other people experienced when you uh, did something, whether it was good, you know, and people felt, you know, grateful. You feel that if you did something that, you know, shouldn't have done and people were hurt by it, you'll feel that. This guy came up to me after after that uh, talk and he said that uh, his friend had uh, had a past life review, had gone through a near-death experience. And before that in his life, this man who uh, went through that had been in an auto accident that somebody had pulled out. Uh, of a side street, run a stop sign and crashed into him. And the guy got out and was so angry that this guy had run into him that he beat him up. You know, he, beat, he beat him to a pulp. And so that the man was not able to uh, work afterwards. He was physically damaged to that extent. And when the guy had his past life review and that uh, particular episode uh, was reviewed, he not only felt what the man that he had beat up felt, he felt what the man's family had gone through because of what he had done. The van couldn't work, you know, so they had, uh, the wife had to go get a job, the children couldn't go to college, you know, all these kind of terrible ramifications of what he had done. And he felt what all those different people felt as a result of it. So it's a pretty dramatic thing. Okay. Uh, Is there a cord between the body and the soul? A cord? I think when, you know, people go on out-of-body trips, and some people do this, it's not something I can do, but there's an outfit in Virginia called the Monroe Institute, and you can go there for a weekend. I think it costs a couple of thousand bucks, but you can go there for uh, a weekend and, and they have this, these chambers they put you in and this semi-sync music kind of stuff they use to get you to go out of your body. And, uh, so people do that. And I've known, you know, I've talked to people who've done that and they say it's quite fantastic. In fact, one guy I know who does it regularly, but anyway, he, uh, I think there is a cord that kind of connects you to your body in that situation. I think when you die, that that cord is cut. But oh. uh, uh, yeah, there is a cord, and I think probably when you sleep, because when you sleep, you're going into the realm of mind, you know. And a lot of times, you have lucid dreams, and they're they seem so very real. And so I think there is a cord that keeps you connected. However, all right, let's get to a number of these other questions coming in, and. Um, uh, Rose asked a simple question. I think you, you kind of answered it. But it said, how, how did you go from advertising business to writing about life after death? Well, uh, it was that. Actually, there were two episodes. The first one I already told you about where I popped out of my body for a brief time. I'm not sure it was near death, but it was certainly I was out of my body because it was so, so vivid and clear. But later on, about a... Ten years later, I, I had that had gotten me started on uh, trying to figure out what everything was about. You know, what is life about, and what is you know, you know my, I'm not my body, so what I am I? 
I joined the Rosicrucian Society or, or, or order, which is a, a society of mystics that study metaphysical laws. I went through all their courses and rose to an adept, they call it. And I read everything I could read. I, uh, I, I remember I read Life After Life by Ra Raymond Moody. Yeah. He was a, a doctor, is a doctor. Yeah, who, we had uh, him on the show. When in, in, in medical school, he interviewed people who had life uh, near-death experiences and wrote a book about it. It was the first one back in probably 40 years ago. And <clears throat> so I'd done all that. And then one afternoon, it was a beautiful late spring day, and I was happily married. I had a healthy child. I was relaxing on a kind of a chaise lounge outside. It was and I had this kind of mystical experience where I, I seemed to kind of merge, somehow merge with the uh, infinite, what I would call the infinite mind. And it was just a, a mind-blowing thing where uh, it's very hard to describe. I write about it in one of my books uh, where I could think about something and I'd know all the answers, you know. <laughs> somehow it was just... Uh, I had somehow merged with the infinite mind. And it probably lasted, uh, I don't know, five minutes. And then I came back. But that really got me going. And that's, I guess, was the other thing that happened to me that got me so interested in the subject that uh, that I just, I would go to my job at the advertising agency and, and do it and all that. But I'd also get up in the morning at 6 o'clock or five o'clock and I'd write for an hour before I went to work. And then finally I sold my interest in my business and, and really started doing it pretty much full time. And I've been doing it for the last 20 years. Okay. Uh, by the way, welcome to the uh, chat, Karen Lee. Uh, uh, Stephen, uh, freely speaking says, what is the self? Who is the I behind our eyes? That is an excellent question, a, a wonderful question, and and uh, probably what I'm going to say here is going to get a lot of people wondering and maybe uh, upset a lot of people, but the I behind that you're talking about, the self, is the source. It is the infinite mind. We are each a window on the infinite mind, and we are all the self expressing itself in a different way. And the self experiences itself through you and me and everything that is alive, that is in any way conscious. And so the self is the source. Uh, you have a higher self that has been developed over many incarnations and will continue on forever and eventually reunite with the self. But at the core, at that back of your mind place, that I am. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he, mm -hmm. said, he met God. It was, I am who I am. And that is who you are. You are the I am. We are each the I am. We're each a window on the I am. All right, let's get to this question here. Uh, ha have you or anyone you uh, have interviewed or talked to talk to anyone on the other side? I have not, but I have talk, certainly talked to psychics who, who talk, who communicate with people on the other side. I don't really talk. It's more impressions that come through. 
that they put into words. The way, the way beings on the other side communicate is through telepathy. We don't have uh, a vocal cords. We don't have uh, a body to, to make the sounds. So it's mind-to-mind -mind communication. Mm -hmm. And so someone who has passed on, who's communicating through a psychic, who's able to pick up on that, is sending impressions that the psychic then translates into words. So, But I've, yes, I've talked to a number of people who... We're able to do that. Okay. We have this from uh, from Bear, who gives us a report called the Bear Report every week. It says, Stephen, what is the most unusual life after death experience you've heard of? Oh, well, uh, I once uh, interviewed this gentleman who, who was a preacher, a pastor in Tennessee. And he became a pastor because... Uh, the, the man was from Jamaica, he's, he told me, and that when he lived in Jamaica, he uh, was a member of a gang, a, you know, one of those bad gangs, you know, like uh, M13 or something like that, who do horrible things. And he had a after death, uh, a near death experience uh, while he was part of that gang. And he tell, told me that he went to hell. And that it was the most horrible thing he could imagine or he had ever experienced. And that's why he left Jamaica and he came to the United States and he went to seminary and he's now a preacher. So I don't think that there is a hell that's permanent. But I do think that if you feel like you, uh, if, you're, if you're a bad guy and you think you ought to go to hell, I think you will do that for at least for a while. Okay, okay. so I'm going to ask people in the live chat, is, do any of you watching the program feel like you should go to hell? <clears throat> Speaking of that, uh, Stephen, let's go ahead and check the poll results. Poll question, what happens when you die? And here's the results. 31% uh, say um, you go to another dimension. 18% says you vaporize into nothing. And 12% says you go to to heaven for judgment. Well, I think the 31% is right, and I think the 8% uh, ought to read at least one of my books because they'll find out that that's not true, and I've got a lot of evidence that I lay out, you know, page after page. Mm -hmm. The ones who go to heaven and say judgment, in a way that's true, but you do get, you do go to that past life review, but nobody judges you, you judge yourself. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I think the Bible says if you judge yourself, yourself, you shall not be judged. All right, let's get to this question here. It says uh, uh, from, from Smoke C, do the sun and moon play a role in our journey from death into this life to the afterlife? You know, we're getting into uh, astrology here. You know, do, do the planets, you know, when you're born under certain, you know, I'm a Taurus. Okay, and, and I guess I am kind of a plodding <laughs> bull-like creature in some ways, played football in college and stuff like that. But uh, the, you know, I would say there are people who think that the planets and so forth have, uh, and, and the moon and the stars and would have a uh, effect on us, and maybe they do. Uh, I really, and I've talked to astrologists, and I've had my, charts done and all that sort of stuff just to see what it was all about but i don't really have a 
answer for that. I, I don't know. I think that it's possible that it has something to do. I don't think it's anything that we uh, that uh, is so powerful that we can't overcome it. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Okay. Let's get to this question here. Uh, do animals go to heaven? Uh, I'm told that uh, people who have a a pet, you know, a dog, for example, that's uh, they're very close to. That yes, that they they meet up with the dog when they go there. Right on, right on. Um, let's get to this question here. There are many cognitive functions that take place in the absence of consciousness. What is the function of consciousness? What are experiences for? Well, it's true that there are many many uh, functions that take place with that are subconscious uh you know like breathing and your heart beating and things like that uh but it's still consciousness that's causing that it's just not you're conscious you're not conscious of it but what is the purpose of the experience experiencing and coming to this realm it's to learn it's to evolve i think that the whole purpose of life and life on earth and life in the physical realm is to evolve we uh uh, for those who've, I'll give an example. I think that the uh, Groundhog Day movie with uh, Bill Murray, where he, uh, a lot of people have seen that, you know, and they, you know, how he uh, starts out in the movie, he's a real jerk and he treats everybody terribly and he's, right. you know, just a jerk. Right. Well, <laughs> Groundhog Day after Groundhog Day, he's stuck there and, Ponsatac, PA, or wherever it is, because of a snowstorm. And the next morning he wakes up, he thinks it's going to be February 3rd. It's not. It's February 2nd again. And everything happens just as it happened before, only he reacts to it either the same way or differently. And eventually, after what seems like almost an eternity of February 2nd, he does everything right. And he treats people with respect, and he treats people with kindness, and he's helpful, and he gets people out of jams instead of uh, pushing them down into the mud and all that sort of stuff. And that, after he lives that day in the right way, he gets to move on to February 3rd. And I think that's what's happening to us here in this, uh, this realm where we come here and we have all kinds of obstacles that we have to overcome. We have problems. We have, uh, you know, financial problems we have love problems we have work problems we have all Mm -hmm. and it's like we're meeting all these obstacles and when we eventually and we learn from them Mm -hmm. you know when something terrible happens to you it's awful when you're going through it but once you get through it and you're on the other side you often look back and say well you know I'm a better person because right, right. of what happened. Right, right. As long as you're still alive. I learned alive. from it and I grew from it. As, as long and as I think that's what we're doing here. We're learning and we're growing. As long as, long as you're still alive after that. You know, where you talk, yeah, exactly. you talk, when you talk about le- lessons, I was thinking of Scrooge, how the Ebenezer Scrooge had the three ghosts come to visit him, you know. And then there, there's one line in there kind of has a lot more meaning now. It says, uh, perhaps we need to decrease the surplus population sounds remarkably like some things going on today but we won't go there with that one all right azura says you're right that's scrooge that's a great movie that's a great story i mean he learns yeah he does from his experience he he, he, he does learn and he does get he does get on the other side and he is a better person for it 
And, and that's now see that, that that that's something I've always said, Stephen, is that December twenty sixth in America is the meanest day of the year because everybody's heading to the mall to return the crappy gift they got. <laughs> they're all mad and they all feel like they're number one and everybody's in their way. So there's honking and pushing and shoving. Uh, people are returning stuff they stole during a year, demanding cash back. You got people at the registers, cashiers. They've got to take them. People coming in with no receipts. It's a nightmare. So it, what it tells me is December 25th for a lot of people doesn't change them at all. December 25th, the feeling that you have should be every day, and you should be nice to people every day. But immediately, man, tw the 26th, boom, everybody's everybody's back at the mall, and it's it's a madhouse, and that's a place you do not want to be they didn't learn anything all right so here's one it says uh, are your dreams connected to your spiritual afterlife you know i think that you're they can be i think that often dreams though are trying to communicate something your, your subconscious mind or your soul is trying to communicate something to you and it's usually in some sort of uh symbolism uh i, I know people in fact one of the people that I interviewed is a, is a kind of person who interprets dreams and, and has a whole course that she gives on dreams and how to, how to lucid dream and how to interpret your dreams. And, and, uh, so yeah, I think it's all somehow connected and, but mostly I think it's to, when you dream something and especially if you dream it more than once, if it's a recurring dream, your subconscious mind is trying to tell you something, trying mm -hmm. to get something through to you that mm -hmm. you're not seeing on a conscious level. Mm -hmm. And you need to try to figure out what that is. And it's going to be symbolism. It's not, you know, if, if a car, if you're dreaming of a, of a car that you own and it's breaking down and, it, you know, you're, you've got a mm -hmm. breakdown with your car or flat tire or whatever mm -hmm. in the dream, it's probably telling you something's wrong with your body that you need to have checked out uh, because you're, Car is your vehicle mm -hmm. to get around, okay. and your body is your vehicle to get around. So that's the kind of symbolism that your dreams mm -hmm. use to okay. communicate. With All you. right. Well, let me just throw this out there. Anybody in the live chat watching the program, if you have a dream, if you had a recurring dream, put it in, in a succinct sentence and then send it in. Let's see what we can do with it. All right. I have another question for you. It says, oh, let me get over to it. Uh, is there any value in us remembering our past lives, or is it best to avoid it? Well, I think there can be a value. I don't think it's necessary to do it or even to try, but, you know, uh, there was a gentleman back in the 20th century, Edgar Casey. He was called the sleeping prophet, and uh, he would go into a trance self-induced trance every he did it twice a day morning and the afternoon when he really got going on this and people would send him questions about uh, problems they had that usually it was a physical problem but often uh, a physical problem or even a kind of a mental problem a kind of karmic problem where you know maybe why do I always seem to attract someone to me who's uh, ends up abusing me or physically or psychologically, that kind of a question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he would often, and to his own surprise, because he didn't believe in reincarnation, while he was in this trance would say, well, that problem stems from a life that you had when such and such and such and such happened. And it's something that you're still dealing with in this life. 
And that would be helpful to them because they would see what had gone wrong before that they hadn't corrected. You know, maybe they didn't, in the case I just gave you, maybe they had a low opinion of themselves and for some reason or other, and they kept attracting people who had the same low opinion mm. of them. Mm. <laughs> so uh, it can be helpful if you've got a issue or problem that you're dealing with that seems to be recurring mm. and, you know, well, you well, can't let me, seem let me to get past it. Just a slightly political question, not too much, but uh, in a lot of the major cities, uh, people keep voting for politicians that don't change anything for the better in their city, and their neighborhoods get worse and worse. Crime, uh, looting, shootings just continue on, but yet they keep voting for the same people. Maybe they're expecting a different outcome, I don't think, but they really don't seem like they're really expecting... Uh, a different outcome it's more like they're saying you go you go woman you go man you go you know whatever they're cheering the same person on you go you go mayor but then they got to go back to their house and, and somebody shooting out the windows is that sort of the complex to where like uh uh when the the auschwitz prisons when they opened the prisons a lot of prisoners they didn't immediately come out because they had been tortured so long by the nazis one, they, they didn't even believe they could get out, but you know they were they weren't sure. Is that the same sort of thing? Well, I think it's a mindset that uh, is causing them to repeat. You know, who, who was it? Einstein who said the height of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Uh, but you know, uh, they're so used to voting for that party, and they hear all this propaganda that that's put out to them about how the other party is going to make be even worse, I guess, you know, that's what they're told and they must believe it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is the height of stupidity. I agree. All right. Um, you know, when people think they're victims, that's the, you know, if, if whatever you believe you are, if you believe you're a victim, you're going to be a victim because you're going to attract stuff to you that is going to, reinforce what you think about yourself and mm -hmm. if you think you're a winner it goes the other direction you know it's what you believe in your in your heart that really creates your reality around you well, yeah, and I mean, yeah these people are creating that reality around them because they think they're victims mm -hmm. i think well there, there's an there's an old saying and i always get people on it says you are what you eat but you know what nobody's ever ate a hamburger and turned into a hamburger but you are what you say you say, I'm sad. Typically, you're sad. You know, you're happy. You know, you can see a smile on their face. You know, I'm angry. You can see the anger on their face. So it is kind of, it does kind of go with you are what you say more than you are what you eat. You're, you're more what you say. So, and I would say it's, and you probably say what you think. So you are what you think. You know, mm -hmm. if you think you're a victim, if you think people are out to get you, then that that's what your reality is going to be. And that's a, that's yep. the, that. And that I, I, we all know people like that, and and it's like they revel in the bad things that happen to them. It's like it's a lifestyle, and it's a, kind of parasitic in a way because they want others to join them in their misery. You know, I'm miserable. Somebody did this to me so many years ago, and they're still talking about it. You know, it's like I don't want to join you there. Okay, I'm over <laughs> here. I'm in happy land, and you're like a succubus, and so get off me. You know, if you got anything good to say, you I, I, it's just like they're just drawing, drawing energy, trying, you know, trying to take me down, take the man down. I can't, I can't deal. I can't deal, uh, Stephen. 
Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. You are, <laughs> you, you know, if you're around those kind of people, my advice is, you know, go somewhere else. Mm. Misery loves company is a truism for sure. All right. Um, is, uh, as far as dreams goes, um, this, this, this person wrote in talking about a dream. See if we can interpret it for him. Uh, they say, I'm always in a maze type setting in a mall type area. Any thoughts? A maze type setting in a mall type area. Mm -hmm. You know, the, th the first thing that come jumps into my head would be that uh, they're they're having trouble figuring out where they want to go. I mean, they, maybe they haven't set a goal for themselves and they need to do that to, uh, you know, move ahead from wherever they are, from whatever their condition in life is. Mm -hmm. That's just a guess, you know, just sort of the first thing that came to my head. All right. Thank you, doctor. Um, <laughs> uh oh, uh -oh we're, we're, we're going into controversy land here. Raul says, is there a such thing as astro sex? Gosh, that's that's a good one. Uh, I like that question. I'd like to know the answer to that myself, but Man. I don't see how there could be. You know, there's, there's nothing physical there. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some sort of joy of uh, somehow uniting with someone on the other side. Uh, I don't know. Wow, Stephen, get a little freaky there. As we know, it would not be possible. Doing the freak on the other side. Wow. All right, I think maybe one of the reasons we come here is because, you know, we talked about experience and that's the reason we come into this physical realm. But, you know, there's eating is something you don't, wouldn't do over there. And there's really good food here if you if you yeah. find it. And sex is another thing that you probably don't do over there that could, could be a lot of fun here. So, <laughs> you know, experiencing is one of the reasons we come here. Probably oh, the man. reason we come here. Oh, man. I had to put a thought <laughs> bubble with that one. All right. Um, this is from our, uh, this is about dreams, and this is from our moderator, Jade. I had a, she says, I had a recurring dream of a house with lots of hidden rooms. Rooms. Loved that house. A, a dream of house with lots of hidden hidden rooms. What do you say, I doctor? I interpret hidden rooms as being uh, parts of your own psyche that you haven't, uh, maybe fully realized or there, you know, we all have a parts of ourselves that we don't, uh, that we sort of don't know about or don't want to know about, or, you know, don't kind of look at. Right. And, uh, I think it's, could be helpful to, to really examine our own psyches. And I think mm -hmm. that hidden rooms in a house in a dream would be Maybe that's what it's telling you, that you ought to maybe take a look. We all have, for example, a, sh a shadow side that that we often deny, you know, but we've, it's part of us, mm -hmm. and it's okay. you might as well bring it out in the open. Okay, so that, that, reminds me of a, that reminds me of the original Star Trek series. There was an episode when the evil Captain Kirk, he was split. He's coming through the transporter, and both his feminine side and his, his mean, angry side came through, two different people, so they were split. One guy... The, the nice kind of film guy, he couldn't make a decision, but the other guy, he was a terror. And uh, in, in the end, they had to join the Captain Kirk's back together as a whole. But the theory was that Captain Kirk needs that evil side as everyone needs that evil side to drive them, to do things, to go where they need to go. Uh, otherwise, we would just be like chickens and we're going to get feathers plucked and thrown into a frying pan. Well, I think that's right. You know, it's, it's part of your 
psyche. It's part of your whole self, and, and there's no reason to deny it because it's there. It's ex If you deny it, I think it can get you in trouble. Okay. You know? All right. Uh, all right, doctor. We have... Uh, re <laughs> <laughs> I'm having fun with that one. All right. Smoke C says, uh, Stephen, uh, recurring dream. I have wings and I'm flying above the earth in a state of bliss. That's fantastic. Sounds like they have some astral sex right there, but in a state of bliss, what's going on? I think that uh, this person has probably uh, accomplished some things that are pretty terrific and and they they subconsciously feel good about themselves. That's wonderful. I've had flying dreams too and things are going great for me. And uh, I love them. And I, I, once I can remember, like I came down the runway and I just, you know, it's like a B-17 taking off. Uh, it was a fantastic feeling. And I think flying dreams tell you that you're, uh, you must be doing something right. You must be, uh, wow. you must be su being successful at something. And uh, that's good. That's good. All right. Here's another recurring dream from uh, Jam Zach. Says, uh, Stephen, I have a recurring dream of falling through a certain step in a staircase towards a black and white checkered floor, but would never hit. No matter how hard I would try to avoid the step, I always fall. Gosh, there must be something going on in that person's life that uh, is that step that they <clears throat> try to avoid but keep uh, falling into. But it apparently it's not uh, not not caused them to a whole lot of damage if they never hit <laughs> i don't know i mean <laughs> something that they're in their life that uh, that they're it's happening it's there but they're able to avoid it or trying to avoid it but they can't mm. somebody says they have a recurring dream of me playing a song on my guitar uh so that dream could come too you never know um I, oh, all right here's this um, Let's go with a little bit more controversy here. This is from Sneaker. Sneaker says, if we take the clot shot and die, will we be able to talk to others and warn them not to commit the same suicide? I guess they're saying if they, if they die, can they warn people that's still alive not to do something? They might be able to come tell them somehow. I mean, I, I've, no, I've had people tell me that when someone died, they appeared to them, you know, for a brief moment. Uh, in fact, one of my uncles told me that this was a long time ago, I think when I was a kid, that one of his best friend died. And he didn't know that his friend had died, but his friend came to see him and told him where uh, the key was to the, to the uh, safe deposit box at the bank. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, the the uh, my uncle told me that he re found out that his friend was dead when he came to him because he had died, you know, an hour or two before that. So I think it is possible. But let me say something about suicide. Um, I have a good friend that I've known for, oh, since we were in high school. And when he learned that I was interested in all this, uh, I had a conversation with him, and he told me about something that happened when he was 16 years old. He was uh, lying in his bed at night, and he, he had some problems that he was dealing with. I won't go into all that, but let's just say that he was contemplating suicide because of this problems that he had. It's a problem with his mother and his family, a problem with his friends and girlfriend. 
Anyway, he says that at three o'clock in the morning, this guy is a lawyer and head of a big law firm now. This was when he was 16 years old. He's not some Looney Tune, you know, guy. That he was yanked out of his body, taken way up into the sky. He said he could look down in the earth and see the curvature of the earth. He could see the sun coming up over the ocean. And then suddenly something popped and everything was black. And these kind of Christmas Eve twinkly lights started coming toward him. And he said, is somebody there? And the answer was that, again, this was not vocal cords, but in telepathy. Yes, we brought you here for a reason. And he said, well, why did you bring me here? He says, we have something important to tell you. And he said, oh, well, what is it? He said, the little lights, which he later on said he thinks were his guides or his guardian angels, said, your life is your own. And he said, oh, my life is my own. He, he, they said, yes, your, your life is. And he said, well, who would, else would it belong to? He said, no, your life is your own. You can do what you want with your life if you want to uh, kill your body, if you want to. They didn't say the word suicide, but if you want to destroy your body, you can do that. But we are here to tell you that if you do that, you're just going to be wasting time. And he said, wasting time, why? It's because you'll just have to come and f come back and face the same situations again until you get through them. Because once you start on a particular curriculum, you have to see it through to the end. So anyway, he came back to his body and he forgot all about committing suicide. But the point is, I think that's what happens. If you, if you commit suicide, you're going to have to come back and do it again. It's just like the guy... Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day, he tries committing suicide too, and it doesn't get him out of that. He just has to come back and face the same things again until he gets it right. All right. Uh, Freely speaking again, says, what determines experiences of volition and will? I'm, I'm sorry, repeat that again? Um, what, what determines experiences of volition and will, free will? Well, I think we all have free will to a certain extent. I mean, obviously, there's we get into situations where we, we don't have a whole lot of free will, but theoretically, we have free will. And I think that if will is something that is built up, again, over uh, as part of evolution, that, uh, you know, strong will and doing the right thing or whatever is, uh, is, is something that we, we learn. And uh, it becomes a trait. Well, Stephen, but I, beyond that, I don't know. Which is more real, the present life, me and you talking here, or the afterlife? People who've been through the afterlife experience say that that's much more real than this life, that it's much more vivid, much more, uh, I don't know, sharp, real, you know, feeling, and being, you know, the, the whole experience is so memorable. I mean, even after... 50 years, somebody will remember it like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, this life, it's often like walking in a dream, you know? Mm -hmm. You're just kind of going through the motions. So in, in, a, in a 1 to 10, how certain are you there is an afterlife? 
I would give it a 10. I mean, I, I'm, I'm convinced. And I think it's, I, I just can't imagine how it, there would not be from everything that I know. And I've read and I've talked people I've talked to and the, the whole thing. I mean, I it's, and it's a wonderful thing to not worry about death. Now I'm kind of like Woody Allen who, who said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. But <laughs> well, one of the one of the poll poll question answers nobody clicked on it nobody voted for it but it says you know what happens when you die it it says you get boxed or you get blow torched so uh, are you well your body does but not right. you so, you'll be gone you'll be right, I can see that you're right according <laughs> to this conversation there's two separate things going on there so are are you uh, are you are you a box guy or you blow torch I'm gonna do the blow torch thing. All right, and where, where, where's the ashes going to go? I'd like them sprinkled on the uh, James River because I live in Richmond, Virginia. The James River runs right through it, and I grew up two blocks away, and when I was a kid growing up, I used to go skinny dipping in the river every day in the summer. Well, kind of risky with the catfish in there, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there were definitely some catfish out there, but uh, no, yeah, I, I did. I, that's where I want to, you know, just scatter my ashes on the, on the James. Mm. Has anyone ever had a near-death experience describe angels with wings on their back? I don't think anybody sees the wings. They see a being of light, of sometimes a very tall, imposing being, but but light emanating from it. But I don't. I don't I've never heard anybody tell me they had wings. All right, then we have this here. Are you familiar with Seth Speaks? books and if you are what's your take on them yeah i uh i've read uh at least one of those uh elizabeth is it montgomery is that her name seth speaks uh, oh, she seth. was a channel for seth who's apparently a more evolved being uh, somewhere who came through her a non-physical being yeah i'm familiar with them i th i think there's something to them the book i well the one book i read of that i thought i was very interesting and i uh, I thought they're, you know, it sounded like it made sense. Mm -hmm. All right. And we have this here. Did Lucifer the devil create this simulation dream reality? No, I don't think it was created by Lucifer. Uh, you know, the Lucifer is an interesting character. Uh, I think of the book of Job. And, of course, uh, Satan is... In, in that story about Job is not really the devil that we think of. He was um, the tempter. The uh, He was the one who kind of tested people. And so the whole idea of Satan uh, is kind of evolved. And, and I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not that familiar with everything in the Bible, but I've read a lot of it and I've, I've, done Bible studies with people I'm I'm don't see where the Satan that we conjure up in uh, the idea of having a guy with horns and who's you know going to torture you for eternity I don't see it that in the Bible anywhere do you Daniel not sure about that uh, in uh, 1799 George Washington when he died he requested that he be buried 
after three days. Now, some secularists say, well, that's because he wanted his relatives to be have time to be notified. But others say that he wanted it three days because he knew Jesus was in the tomb three days and rose again. And in case he had favor, he wanted to, he didn't want to be buried down underneath the ground. So he's got a chance to get up off the deathbed, get up and start walking around. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, back in those days, <laughs> people would, would often think someone was dead and they weren't. You know, they were in a coma or something and they would wake up. You know, have you ever seen, I can, I'm trying to remember the movie, the, uh, uh, the one with the railroad, the, uh, Sean Connery's in it. There's a casket in the, uh, movie and it's got a bell mm -hmm. uh, up on top with a string so that if the guy inside wakes up, he can ring the bell mm -hmm. before they bury mm -hmm. him because you know, people, I think Edgar Allan Poe wrote about people being buried alive, you know. Well, there is evidence. People have exhumed bodies and found claw marks, scratch marks on the top of the casket. So, so that's a good reason to wait three days. Well, that's a good reason not to get blowtorched either, man, because you get blowtorched, you ain't coming back. You you have no chance, man. All right. Um, here's Jay, the, the, our moderator. I said, a friend with an NDE said he understood complex math equations when he was away but when he returned he lost the knowledge is that common uh, absolutely that that is what you know i mentioned earlier i talked about this kind of uh, mystical experience i had where i felt like i merged with the uh, infinite mind for five minutes or however long it lasted and i, I had the answers to everything if i'd have had if i'd have had a if I'd thought about some complex math problem, I'd have probably had the answer to that. But I didn't remember. I brought some of that back with me, but most of it was gone mm -hmm. when I came back to reality. Yeah, there's a there's a UFO experiencer in Rendlesham Forest in uh, in England, I think it was. These two guys uh, saw a craft come down, and <clears throat> they were able to touch it, and they made a report on it. It's kind of a famous event. But later, the guy was able to write out a bunch of uh, ones and zeros and he wrote it out and then pages of them and then they tr it was able to be translated it was a message from somewhere now some people say it came from uh the reptilians or the insectoids or somebody up there maybe it come from the other side who knows i mean so yeah, sometimes yeah. you can retain some kind of information uh jim shook says uh steven what about mentally impaired people uh retarded if you will we don't use those terms anymore uh, challenge uh, mentally challenged is that acceptable uh, if they will come back and have the same mentality yeah I I think that uh, I've often thought about that you know people who are born with uh, some sort of a limited uh, challenging of uh, mental capacity whatever the politically correct way to say that is uh, and I think that they're you know, again, people. Some people are going to, you know, roll their eyes, but I think that we choose, to a certain extent, our family, our situation, and so forth, because we have certain lessons that we want to try to learn in a particular life. And I think that maybe someone who is born that way is a perfectly 
formed uh, spiritual being, but they come into a body that's got problems, you know, picking up all the all the brain power they really have, all the mind that they really have, because they want to experience that for whatever reason. And so it's part of their learning, uh, part of their curriculum that they've chosen for that particular life. Um, so I don't think that they're like that when they leave their body and go back to the other side. They're going to be a perfectly uh, capable and fully formed uh, being. So, so but then when they basically, come here, so, so beyond that, are you suggesting that if, say, if somebody had their legs amputated or whatever, that they would be a complete being? Uh, in the afterlife. I think they would be, uh, although it's interesting, you know, I've, I've got a, had an uncle who uh, had one leg missing, was uh, amputated, mm -hmm. and he said that he could feel his toes and so forth on that leg, even though it wasn't there anymore. Like but yeah, I think that they, uh, they'll they be whole when they pass. But mm -hmm. one of the things the University of Virginia has found that uh, some of these children who have memories of past lives and they come back very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, the average child who remembers a past life that they can verify actually uh, was someone who fit that description and so forth is only 15 months between death and birth. So uh, nine months of that would be pregnancy. So they come back very quickly, but often they'll have a, some sort of physical defect that they will, you know, fingers missing or, uh, a leg missing uh, below the knee, something like that. Often it's they were murdered, you know, and maybe they were shot. There was one case where there was a uh, birthmark on the forehead and on the back of the head there was this splattered birthmark where it turned out that the previous life uh, the person was shot in the forehead. Mm. And, you know, the exit wound uh, would have been the shape of that. Mm -hmm. uh, birthmark on the back of their head. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, I guess, if you're born real quick, you know, real fast after you pass, uh, maybe you'll come back with the. Uh, so, so if if so, let's just say you're John F. Kennedy, and you you they'll say, well, uh, you're up there wherever you're at. So you're <laughs> going to be president, but your brain is going to be blown out of your skull. You good with, you good with that? Well, but your brain again doesn't doesn't uh, in where your mind is. It's just a receiver. Yeah, but but, but no, to I know mean, is he might come back if he came back quickly. He'd come back with a birthmark where the bullet entered and the birth uh, big bigger birthmark where it exited. Hmm. Okay, all right. The bear says, uh, "How can there be an afterlife if there's recurring life with reincarnation?" Well, there's just uh, there's a life and there's between life and then there's a life. And according to the, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, I mentioned earlier that I joined the Rosicrucian order when I uh, wanted I mean, to huh? learn more about metaphysics. Yeah. They say Probably that the that. average uh, span is 140 years. So if you're, uh, let's say you live 70 years and you die, you'll spend 70 years before you incarnate again. So it'll be 140 years between... Mm births mm -hmm. on average now obviously that's an average because we just said that the university of virginia is studying these children with past lives it's a whole lot quicker for them and the, but i think that's the reason they remember their past life because they mm -hmm. their life is usually cut short some way murdered maybe killed in a auto accident or 
uh, killed in a war, in yeah. battle, or whatever. So, and so, so, I, had, so I have in our, in, in our background one of your, one of your books, uh, How Science Reveals God. But a lot of universities, Stephen, they spend their time trying to disprove that God exists, that everything is scientific and we don't know everything because the science hasn't proved it yet, but they always want to leave God out of the conversation. Is it because they're fearful that, that the things they've done in their life uh, would put them in a guilt frame of mind? That's quite possible. I can't uh, get into their heads to know what they think, but it's certainly that. that certainly not much in their sense. heads. It wouldn't take long to Basically, go in there. What, what happened is, uh, and, I, and I go through this in one of my books, how did we get where we are with where science is? Because for millennia, people have believed that uh, there's uh, physical reality, there's this world, and there's heaven or some sort of non-physical world that we go to when we die, or that, and that we can communicate back and forth. You know, shaman, witch doctors, all the way going back to the earliest uh, human beings that were, lived in caves believed that. So how did we get to a point where that's no longer scientifically acceptable. What happened is, I think, uh, back in the uh, 17th century, 1600s, uh, you had witch trials. I've written a book about my ancestor who was one of the Salem witches who was hanged. Wow. And uh, so you had people believe in all this stuff that was you know, thought of by intellectuals as superstition. And... There was a fellow named Thomas Hobbes, who was an English philosopher, and he uh, wrote a book, the Levithian, but he said, one of the things he said and maintained was that if God created it, then all there, all there is is what God created, which is the earth, which is physical matter. So people who were intellectuals, that spawned the um, age of enlightenment, it's called, where uh, a lot of intellectuals, people like Thomas Jefferson believe, became what are called deists, mm -hmm. which is the great clockmaker theory where God created the world, created the universe, created the solar system, wound it up and let it go, and it's no longer involved in it. That was what they believed in the age of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Then, in the ninth, that was the 18th century. In the 19th century, along comes Darwin, who explains how uh, human beings came about through natural selection, through survival of the fittest. That enabled the scientist types to get rid of God altogether. And that 19th century belief is what still, most of them are still hanging on to. It's called scientific materialism. The only thing that exists is matter, you know, uh, physical substance. Now, the book you've got up on the screen, How Science reveals God, disputes that, because if it's true that only matter exists, then intelligence and consciousness could not have existed until evolution produced a brain. But think about something as basic as the DNA molecule, which is the basis of life. The DNA molecule is, as everybody knows, it's this supercoiled thing up in, in a in the uh, center of a cell, that if you if you took that and stretched it out, it would be six and a half feet long, 
And what is it? It's computer code. It's everybody's seen a printout of somebody's DNA. What that code tells you, tells the cell, is when and how much and, and so forth and how to make proteins at the proper time and in the proper place and so on. So if <laughs> you got computer code that's six and a half feet long, how did that come about by accident? It can't have come about. The mathematicians who've calculated the odds on the DNA molecule forming by accident say that it's one in infinity that it could happen. Mm -hmm. So there had to be intelligence behind it. And that's just one thing. Mm -hmm. How could an eyeball right. have developed by accident? How could a kidney have developed mm -hmm. by accident? Right. Which How came first? Anything like that? Which, which came first? How could all the laws of the universe have happened by accident? Mm -hmm. There's got to be intelligence behind it. Uh, now, Benjamin Franklin was a famous deist. But he's also classically known to say, the older I get, the more I am convinced that God rules in the affairs of men, which is the exact opposite of what a deist believes. So which well, yeah, it? he was contradicting the deist idea that God wound it up and let it go and no longer is involved. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, to me, you know, when you get to an advanced age like you and I are, I don't know, maybe you're not, you realize hey, that. The, you look back at life and things happen in a way, in a pattern, kind of, you know, people you met, things that happened, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it, it oh, yeah. doesn't seem to have happened by chance. It seems to have been a story that somebody wrote. You know, it really does. It really does. And, and who wrote the story? Did we write the story or did God write the story? Now, as far as the afterlife goes, it is written uh, in the Bible that, you know, it's appointed unto man to die once and after that the judgment. Now, I'm, I'm kind of along those lines because I haven't met anybody who died and came back. So if there are people who are dead and came back, how would I recognize? How would I know? But I say, haven't I seen you before? Like after, did I see you after the funeral that you were in? I mean, well, let me first comment on that uh, death and then judgment. Well, that that's, goes along with what people have near death experiences have. You know, they die and they go and they have their past life review, <laughs> but they come back. You know, to try to do it again. <laughs> well, you know, I do think. Don't you? Haven't you ever met somebody that you felt like you knew? That you, oh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. that you had an instant rapport with that mm -hmm. uh, just kind of uh, seemed like you'd always known them. Yeah. And, and, you know, probably you did because they were somebody from another life that you, I think we kind of have a group that we hang around life after life with. You know, we mm -hmm. might come back in different roles. Sometimes it's your brother. Sometimes it's your father. Sometimes it's your wife. Sometimes it's your sister. Mm. All right, we have this question here from Southern Boy. Did you hear in the news where 5-MeO-DMT, not sure what that is, uh, toad venom is healing people of PTSD, depression, addiction, and killing of the ego? Is this done through consciousness modification? You know, I've heard something about that, but I don't know much about it. I th and I think the ego is something that... Uh, we could all do better with having less of, you know, I mean, I think the egos can get us in a lot of trouble mm -hmm. because the ego's whole, you know, whole, what it's all about is survival. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it'll lead you into a lot of trouble because of that. Uh, you know, you get mad at people and, you know, you strike, you know, you fight or whatever. I mean, they're really things, egos can be a, 
the problem. Have you seen or heard of any definitive physical evidence of the afterlife? Physical evidence of the afterlife? Maybe somebody went there and brought something back. I don't think you could bring anything back. I mean, because it's non-physical over there. Mm -hmm. The only physical thing would be the uh, the hundreds of cases that the University of Virginia has uh, and Ian Stevenson put all these in books. He's written about half a dozen books uh, of the uh, physical uh, issues with people's bodies. You know, like I said, the fingers missing. The, there was one case where a guy was shot in the ear, you know, with a shotgun and died. And he came back with, had a cauliflower, when he was reborn, he had a cauliflower ear. I mean, these yeah. things that were holdovers from the previous life or the way they died in the previous life, that would be something that would be coming back into the physical reality from so, non-physical. So where do ghosts fit in this? I think ghosts, people, ghosts that hang out in uh, buildings or castles or graveyards or wherever are, let me tell you a story about, uh, I think that people die, often die, particularly if they're atheists and they don't believe in an afterlife, and they kind of hang around in this dimension that's closest to, uh, called astro, the astral plane that's closest to the uh, physical world. And they can cause problems, you know, that, you know, spirit possession and so forth really does happen. I've talked to psychiatrists who've dealt with that. Um, but let me tell you a story. Okay. I had this friend. Uh, I used to go to France a lot. I, my first wife was married, uh, was French, and we'd go over there in the summer for a couple, two or three weeks for many years. And I had a friend over there who inherited this great big house in the country he lived in paris but he would inherited this house and he had made some money in the stock market so he decided to fix up this place this old place hadn't been lived in in probably 30 or 40 years maybe longer but anyway he and his wife would go out there and the workmen would work you know and they'd spend the night on the weekend or whatever and and when they spent the night he would hear this screaming sound this it was right before he, you know, would drift off to sleep. He would feel like he hear in his mind someone calling for help, and it happened every night when he was there. So finally, he 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 got up and he went looking for it, and he decided it must be coming from the basement, from the cellar of this house. So the next day, he got the workmen who were there, you know, doing something with the roof or whatever. Got them to go down there, and they looked around. They found this one wall that looked a little newer than the other ones, and they ripped it out, and there was a skeleton behind Ooh. that wall. And uh, they took the skeleton out, and they gave it a Christian burial, and they never heard the noises, the night noises again. But he believes that what happened is this somebody was bopped on the head, put behind that wall, bricked it, they bricked it up, and he must have come to, like the guy in the casket that you were talking about, right. scratching to get out. And he had been behind that wall, didn't realize he was dead, because he died back there, and had been screaming for help ever since. Wow. And once they opened the wall up and brought him out, you know, then he didn't need to do that anymore. And I, buried him. And I, and I know who did it. Who did it? Maxwell Silverhammer. <laughs> bang bang in the back of his head it's written right in the Beatles yeah, song that, man 
Yeah, that's what happened. Exactly. It's written right in there. But no, that's a great story, man. I mean, geez, the guy didn't know he was dead and been screaming ever since. So how do yeah. we get this guy in the grave to get him to quit uh, haunting the living? <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, I think it can happen. Uh, I I saw a story or read a story. No, I saw it. It was a YouTube video not long ago about this guy who uh, uh, spoke through a medium, you know, so like what's her name Montgomery who wrote the Seth stories. You know, she would, uh, well, anyway, this guy was killed in world war two. No world war one. And he described how he, uh, what happened. And he didn't know he was dead. He was on a, in a charge, you know, when they come over the top out of the trenches and they run toward the other trench and he was shot, I guess, didn't know it, thought he was still running. And uh, went on and on for <laughs> it's it was an interesting story. Let's put it that way. And I, so I think it's possible you, you could be more, dead and not. You know got it. any more ghost stories before we get to the end of this? Oh, let's see, ghost stories. I mean, there you know, I've, it's mostly stories about uh, people who uh, have near death experiences. You know, if you if people are interested in that, there's a there's a Nonprofit organization called IANS, International Association of Near Death Survivors, I guess, mm -hmm. yeah, NS. Mm -hmm. And they have a YouTube channel. And if you go to YouTube and just put that in there, IANS, mm -hmm. you'll get all kinds of YouTube videos of people who describe their near death experiences. Mm. You Some know, of them we, we were talking about that, didn't know he's dead. It reminded me of that movie. Uh, it's called The Others, um, and I think Nicole, Nicole Kidman's in it, and mm -hmm. uh, her and her two daughters are in this uh, like hotel or this big house, and then uh, they are they're actually dead, and they don't know it, and somebody's coming over to buy the house, you know, and they thought that the living people was haunting them, but they was really <laughs> haunting the other the living people. Now that goes back to the astral sex thing too, because her husband who went out to war came back. And they had sex. Now, she was dead. So, <laughs> I mean, there's some crazy stuff going on in that house right there. But it, in the end, but it turned out what happened was she killed the two children. <laughs> and so, she was trapped in this zone. And it sounds So, there you go. But you also said something phenomenal, too, uh, Stephen, that atheists, they're going to get stuck somewhere. Because th yeah. if, they go, if they go up, you know, they're going to get kicked out that way. And they go down, they probably don't want them. They don't want them either. So, they're going to be stuck in some kind of netherworld. I think they better read my book. Go to my website, shmartin.com, and you see all these books up behind you. Pick one of those and read it. <laughs> this, uh, the one there kind of to, to the left, there's two of them, the woman with the suitcase and the other one going through the hole there. Okay. Those are the two books to read about life after death. Okay, okay, I see them. And what, what's, the, what's the titles? Can you see the titles? Uh, well, the one on the left there uh, is Life After Death, Powerful Evidence, You Will Never Die. And this one up here is a good one, too. You, this one here? Uh, yeah, Afterlife, The Whole Truth. That's actually this book plus another one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, shmartin.com is my website. And go up to the top and click on books, and you'll get to that page. Okay. Well, uh, Stephen Holly Martin, we're at the end of the broadcast. Any final things you'd like to say? 
about being on the show or anything you want to say, go ahead. Just that, uh, you know, when you realize that uh, you're an eternal being, it changes your life and makes you look at life differently and can make it a whole lot better for you. I tell you that really does. It has for me. Okay. All right. I appreciate you being on the show. Can we have you on again sometime? Absolutely. I enjoyed it, Daniel. All right, Stephen, I appreciate you spending some time with us this evening. I'll send you some links after we edit and upload it on YouTube, and we'll talk again. Very good. Thank you.